0: queens and beautiful cultural worker bees, welcome to this listening space we call the Wild Honey Collective. Wherever you are coming from as you arrive to this conversation, welcome. This is a moment of our week, every week, where we can find the space to listen to the wild places in our bodies and our spaces. Wherever you find those places resonating with the grooves of this conversation, may you follow and nurture them, and may they be the soul food that nourishes whatever it is you're pollinating in the world. Today, I'm in conversation with Jonathan McRae of Silver Run Forest Farm. Jonathan is a teacher, facilitator, farmer, and a friend. And he's co-founder of Silver Run Forest Farm, a riparian nursery and folk school rooted in love and living soil. These roots sprout out as agroforestry, watershed health, and restorative justice. They tend soil and watershed health by farming in the image of the forest and remediating the toxins that pollute our souls, society, and soil. Silver Run Forest Farm branches out along two tributaries of the Shenandoah River, Blacks Run and Cub Run. Their wild planting along the banks of these tributaries converge at the heart center of their nursery in Town, nestled into the hollers of the base of the mountain. This conversation gets to the heartwood of what it means to cultivate the wealth of growing, sharing, and valuing our gifts in a web of unique contributions through the practice of agroforestry. This conversation also unfolded at such a special time because Jonathan and his partner, Kristen, are preparing to bring a little one into the world. So our conversation around caretaking life ventured into a little bit of his preparation to step into that deep caretaking role So I'm really, really grateful for the grounded capacity to be vulnerable that he showed up to this conversation with. And because of our need to be extra careful around potential exposures to COVID, we chose to have this conversation outside. So you will hear the background noise that is mostly charming and at times a bit disruptive. Just think of it as the wind trying to say her piece. If you can, Find a grove to sit within or a tree to commune with as you stare out your window and take in this conversation in their company. All right. Hello, Jonathan. Hi. Thank you so much for having me out here. To so be good the to have you show.
1: out here. It's really exciting.
0: So you have been someone who's shaped my development, my orientation <laughs> to hmm. the world and that is because of time we've spent together mm-hmm. working in transformative spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being Vine and Fig and the space that all uh, many different projects converge yeah. there. And then another being through Silver Run Forest Farm mm-hmm. and the work that you do through that. So for starters, can you describe what silver run forest farm is and what some of the roots of the project are
1: yeah uh i just feel really honored and humbled to be here and be in this conversation with you i really thanks for how you opened that it's really um affirming and uh and also like a a gift of a kind of challenge and responsibility, to like know the influence we have in people's lives, especially people close to us too. So I, I'm feeling that a lot in my life right now, and I really appreciate you saying that. Um, we're sitting outside on a really cold day <laughs> <laughs> near Cub Run, near this little creek at the foot of uh, Massanutten Mountain um, here in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's kind of funny, like, to talk about what Silver Run Forest Farm is, because in a way, it's not really a place, like. Cornelius um, Deppy and I, who caretake the forest farm, and started it together, and like nurtured it, and propagated, it and sprouted it, and kind of suckered off from vine and fig, and started our own, our own <laughs> weird little thing.
2: Um,
1: uh, yeah, we can We could talk about it less as a place and more of like it's a craft. It's a way of being in a relationship to places, and it's more of like it's more of a dispersed interaction or like cross pollination of forestry and farming or gardening and gathering it's the the way we want to be in relationship and so the forest farm that term um for us is the relationship between the life of culture and the life of nature or between the life of um the human community with the the deep living land that we we're tending. um so this place where we are here in Kieseltown is one of the places that we think of as the forest farm um but we're a uh, we're a riparian nursery and a folk school, rooted in love and living soil. <clears throat> and uh, riparian means growing along a waterway, which is true, like, geographically uh, here on this creek, and then where we started along Blacks Run was along along that creek in Harrisonburg. Um, but also, just kind of our sensibility of being drawn to water <laughs> yeah. and wanting to grow plants that are drawn to water. <clears throat> Not all of our plants are plants that technically want to be along the water but um, but it's just uh, an orientation that we have in a folk school way of how we learn to be who we want to be to do what we need to do in the world Um, and those roots down in love and living soil um, and our conversations together like the heart the heartwood of what we do is is about love about the desire to nurture the growth of others including ourselves that the nursery is as much about growing ourselves up to be beautiful human beings as it is about growing plants Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and we need living soil to do that Um, the soil that our plants are grown in and then the kind of cultural soil for our own lives Um, so just it really feels like all these metaphors or whatever stack on each other and like breed new life together but we're um, we're really focused those roots and and living soil sprout out in kind of three key ways is agroforestry watershed health and restorative justice and agroforestry we see is just farming like the forest and watershed health is a way of tending to places that are defined less by capitalist real estate values and settler colonial borders but more by the shape of the land and the flow of water and restorative justice as a, a practice of being in a healing relationship by taking responsibility and being accountable and healing um meeting the needs of things as much as possible so that everybody can be themselves so that's kind of a little bit of what we're grounded in and rooted in but also we're just we're grounded in play and we're grounded in pleasure and joy and like the the fun of getting to do some of what we do which is to propagates so much diversity and food and medicine, um, that is just feels like a gift to be able to do it. And, um, I think a, a lot of what we're grounded in is gift and gratitude.
0: Mm. Yeah. I feel a lot of gratitude for <laughs> that gift of you putting, putting this into words. Hmm. Mm. How do you see the root systems that you work with in forming this way of seeing and being in the world?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> it's amazing when we dig up plants to notice like all the the different shapes they can take and the the depth or the width, like how wide they go and and knowing in a <clears throat> less so in, in our nursery settings, but in the, the forest and woodlands that we're trying to imitate and learn from. So much connection happening underground. There's this whole underground economy and life happening that's very radical. It's very to the root and sharing, uh, mutual aid, um, uh, negotiation happening between trees underground, sharing, um, the photosynthetic gifts of of carbon turned into um, incredible nutrient-rich uh, leaching that is feeding life underground, microorganisms that then feed back to the trees. There's just, there's an incredible amount of diversity and abundance and webbed mutual aid that's happening that <clears throat> that we we try to imitate in what we're doing. Um, there's and the shape of the forest farm really is like a tree that it's like the roots go deep and out Um, what we try to grow has so many different possibilities Um, the branches can go in so many different directions that we're a nursery we're a folk school we do consulting go to people's homes farms organizations to help think through dream and scheme ways to take care of the land and and meet the needs of the humans involved and we try to imitate trees in in terms of how economically we structure ourselves, how we um, what we're rooted in how we we give gifts and recirculate and um, move things out away from us to share in the the wider web of relationships and um, kind of think about like how how multifunctional trees are, not how multitasking <laughs> trees are that like <laughs> trees are like multitasking feels to me like we're doing so many unrelated things at one time and we get really stressed out and anxious and and maybe trees i bet they feel stressed i'm curious about anxiety but i'm sure they feel the tension of stretch that comes with being stressed but yeah yeah, this would be really like what's the emotional life of a tree but (laughs) but i also think they're really multifunctional that they're like doing so many things at once just by being who they are every every plant um by being producers, by being like creators of of energy through photosynthesis. They're just doing, being themselves and it has so many incredible gifts. And even though we don't photosynthesize, even though we have to consume the lives of others, I still think we can imitate trees and that multifunctionality. How can I be who I am? And by being that, it has so many gifts and how could the forest farm be itself? How can we structure ourselves so that just by the process of being a nursery and a folk school and those kinds of things. We're actually doing so many things at one time that can be, be gifts and be, be food for other things that we want to be supporting.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, That feels like a really central kind of core image for us.
0: Yeah. Food for thought building off of that image. Mm Mm-hmm. What are some of the multifunctional services that a tree gives Mm. all at once just by being itself? Maybe a specific tree you could think of, one of your favorites. Or, you know, and then how can we look to that system of many simultaneous functionalities working through an organism? and look at our economy mm. and learn how we could be moving differently and providing mutual aid for each other
1: yeah. allowing
0: ourselves to be ourselves
1: mm. there's so like every tree is kind of my favorite <laughs> <laughs> and they'll probably have more favorites than others but but just behind you what i'm looking at is a maple <clears throat> and this feels really appropriate right now because there's a bucket sitting under it with two packs this tree since the sap is flowing right now and so we're we're mostly harvesting walnut syrup or walnut sap but we're also gathering some maple sap right now at this time um and it's a norway maple it's not native here a lot of people have uh who love trees have kind of a sour taste in their mouth for norway maple because it it does spread very easily and can kind of displace some of the native maples um but I think there's something still really beautiful about what this tree is doing right now, which is, in its growing habit, it's preventing soil from eroding through the web of its, of the roots. It's feeding the fungal life underground right now. It's, uh, when the leaves are out, it's offering incredible shade and also food for so many different kinds of insects that feed on the leaves. Um shelter for those insects for birds for squirrels for a whole diversity of beans um, could cut branches off and use them for firewood um, the sap right now is so sweet and mineral rich that replenishes us during the winter either straight as sap or boiled down into syrup and that that sweetening uh nectar and the tree also breathes out oxygen and breathes in our carbon dioxide so we just we exchange breath with these trees um, and they're they're breathing the world for us um, and it's the the circulation of water that's happening that sap is a good indication of that of like flowing out and then releasing through the leaves and taking in water through the ground and through through the pores of the tree there's just so many things happen at one time but the tree is just doing that as itself and that that's helped us think through some of our core intentions. Like if we're rooted in love and living soil, what do we want that to sprout out as? and the nursery as a way to propagate all these beautiful and useful plants that cross-pollinate food sovereignty with ecological restoration that those plants are also like that maple all those are doing incredible things just by being themselves both food and medicine for people but also for land and so it just at every kind of level of what we do feels like each small piece still has like a sense of the whole within it there's still like a um not even sure like what the what the right term would be like the dna or like the seed of it at each stage is, is very similar it's a it's a fractal kind of pattern um and yeah i think i think that we we've structured it in a way and we're still learning how to do this it feels like it's always kind of re-experimenting or reinventing as we go but um but I think that sense of multifunctionality, the sense of being deeply interconnected and the sense of, um, of always growing in who we are is the kind of openness and our shape that we want to have. Um, so with the nursery, like <clears throat> we grow way more plants than we could just sell through, um, through the model that we have, through the website that we have where we take orders. And so also wanting to gift as many of those plants as possible. Um, we redistribute, uh, a portion of what we make financially every year, um, so that we're, we're growing plants that people are putting a monetary value on and paying us. And we will also give away the plants, but we'll also give away some of that money that the trees are helping us make, um. And what we're learning through growing plants and tending land is also something we can share with other people, that, that knowledge and practice and the connections that we make through the work that we do is also another form of, of kind of beautiful gift that we can invite people to come and be teachers so other voices are sharing things through, through our network than just the two of us. And um, yeah, I, could, I probably could keep going, but there's just so many different, so many different ways and I think we're gonna keep learning More, Um, some of our dream is uh, I guess one other thing I'll add to that is just like woodland collectives like so many different possibilities of how to tend trees and there's no reason for us to do it all because we need so many people supporting and partnering so there's so much room in that canopy for so many people to have different niches that could still be about Growing and tending trees and all the gifts of trees, harvesting nuts that we use for seed, but also for flour, for oil. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: That's some of our, some of the most exciting things that we kind of foresee economically within the forest farm at some point. Um, things that we're practicing now, kind of on a home community level, could be livelihood supporting for somebody.
2: Yeah,
0: and when someone develops a skill set that is intimate in this way, where you can look at the tree behind me and know its genus and species and Mm. its gifts and how to work with them and craft them into something that is so valuable and so medicinal. To be able to share an exchange that builds a sort of economy Mm. between people when we specialize in our loves and where our curiosity is drawn. Mm. So I definitely see the ways that that ecosystem of sharing has branched out from the relationships that a common love of mm-hmm. earth crafts yeah has cultivated <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what i've started calling them i love that earth crafts yeah it makes it makes it feel like you're in sort of a
1: video game yeah
0: which is the antithesis of it at the same time (laughs)
1: right? no but it's something like sim city but it's like sim forest like you're (laughs) building we can build worlds (laughs) we can actually do this we could create these amazing societies like how about that and yeah or I like earthcraft land and craft skills is something I've heard for a long time out of different groups of people I've always loved just the the sound of that but also like the images that come with it for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, when you were younger, mm. what were some of the ways that you inspired to be in the world and how has that evolved mm. as you've grounded more deeply into the roots of who you are and what draws your curiosity? And how do you see that branching out into those who come after you?
2: Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: You will now have thirty minutes to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You a, a lifetime to keep living <laughs> into that question. Um, <clears throat> thanks for asking that. I love love that question. Um, it's amazing to feel both like a deep consistency in who I am, and also so much change in the way I hold that, and also feeling like it comes in cycles. Like every few years of realizing, like I there's another like part of me I need to shed or <laughs> grow mm. into. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel like I'm in some of that now. And um, uh, But growing up, um, I love being in trees. It's kind of amazing, like the what feels a little bit like full circle, like when I came into realizing I could craft a livelihood or uh, some sort of joyful work out of being with trees. like are you kidding me this is awesome (laughs) because i grew up climbing in trees and like drawing them and um my my friends and i my brother and several of our friends like we we were big um i guess you would call it role playing but like we would just sit for hours and craft worlds and like come up with stories and like uh, identities characters that we would be in these worlds and like sitting under trees or in trees doing this and like the ability to reshape our imaginations and social world through play and that was happening for me in trees growing up and I was so deeply influenced by stories by myth by folk tale by um uh yeah just so many stories and so I feel like that is so consistent for me. I like I've, I've grown into this fully embracing that and seeing how it's all, all woven together. Um, and that, that image or that, like that imagination feels rooted in the, the deep kind of convictions or, um, values that my family really taught of, uh, justice and kindness and compassion and, um, deep reflection a critical reflection and and analysis of the world and our role in it and how we've been um uh how we've been made by the conditions that we're in but how we can remake them as well and aware of um my dad is a really um really instilled in me a love of words and etymology like the roots of words Mm -hmm. which has a very Uh, ecological sense of like you know family trees of words and stuff like that but uh we talked a lot about our affluence like what flows towards us the way the systems have been made to flow things to to us um and we didn't always name it this way but it's you know become clear to recognize like as um people have been made white in a settler colonial empire with a capitalist economic system um that is deeply conditioned by patriarchy, what that means for somebody like me who has been taught to be and thinks of myself as a, as a white straight man with American citizenship. And so th- what flows towards me and what, how could things flow differently? Looking at the trees and looking at the soil and water that this is deeply arbitrary and artificial and, um, and not the way things have always been. And so I think those that imagination and the play in trees from a very young age helped me realize that we um, things don't have to be the way that they are. Um, We Mm -hmm. could do it differently. Um, And I think that opened me up to being radicalized to go into the root in different ways that that happened some growing up, but definitely came more later, too. And I think what I have needed to let go or shed partly is that I still feel like I keep doing is like a very, a rigid kind of tight, toxic perfectionism um, in a lot of my orientation. I'm just like, I wanna be, wanna be right, I wanna do things right. Um, and <clears throat> of course I can't be perfect. I end up doing hurtful, imperfect things and making mistakes, but then I um, have struggled at times to incorporate that into my understanding of myself and that i can still be worthy of love or still be able to grow if i'm not perfect then i'm not good if i'm not good then nobody's gonna love me that kind of thing and that that piece has been something to learn like to keep shedding and the plants help me do that the trees help me do that because they're they're growing all the time and they're like i would never look at a seedling in our nursery and say that it's not perfect because it's in the process of growth and so how can i how can I bring that into who I am, too? Mm.
0: That compassion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and honesty, too. Yeah, I love compassion and recognizing our worth and also just an honest reflection. I can be whole, like, the mistakes that I make and the hurt and also, like, the gift and um, and learning how to hold the same values or convictions a little differently with, mm-hmm. with joy and with still having the same c- conviction. But I can be curious... And compassionate and convicted all at the same time. They don't have to cancel each other out.
2: hmm
0: How do you see yourself trying to hold that same compassion and honesty and freedom to recognize affluence mm-hmm. for younger generations and those that you find yourself, you know... Acting as a figure of parenting, too.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes not not well. <laughs> sometimes like feeling sad or a little bit um, <clears throat> maybe envious of that a little bit because I I have had wonderful teachers and I have people have poured a lot of love into me but I think because of the condition of our so-called culture I don't think I've had the experience of a lot of elders like people who have grown and kind of flowered into adulthood and an elderhood Um, so sometimes I feel envious when or like a little tense if people start looking to me that way when i'm like i still need to grow up more (laughs) i still got a lot of growing to do um and then i want to turn that into feeling like wow what an amazing opportunity what like i am i'm a character like the the stories that we were making up in trees i'm still in trees and i'm still making up a story <laughs> in which and participating in a story in which i'm a character and i get to have a character arc like i get to grow too that's pretty cool yeah. and i need to keep reminding myself of that more because we're my my partner kristen and i are about to have a little little human in our family about <laughs> to sprout out here really (laughs) soon in like two weeks maybe uh, within the next two or three weeks and the incredible gift of that and so much responsibility and feel scattered and feel scared but also really aware of how sacred and amazing it is um and what that makes me want to do is, continue, is keep growing up. Is keep doing my work. Is keep being someone that's worthy of whatever uh, respect and um, need and uh, uh, looking to me for guidance that this little one and maybe others do. That I wanna, I wanna deserve that, <laughs> and that means I need to keep being in the process of growth and and openness and taking responsibility for things that I have inherited that I didn't make and I wouldn't have chosen, but I still inherit them and still have to make something of them and deal with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that's tearing them down, whether that's decomposing them into compost and feeding something else, whether that's like leveraging it into being uh, a reconstructive, redistributing, repairing sort of um, shift. However I hold it, I want to take those things I've inherited and uh, make something beautiful with it. Yeah. And I always feel that way, but I'm really curious how I'm going to feel in a few weeks (laughs) when I look at at this little life and just see how I feel. Like, what do I feel that's different? What do I feel that's consistent?
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, you started this conversation by orienting, talking about where we are. Mm. And I think part of what I have learned from the way that all three of you, Cornelius and Kristen, approach your craft is by tending birth and tending generation by practicing being where we are with all the mistakes that we're going to make (laughs) and all that we still don't understand Mm. but still being really present to all of the life that is here to draw in our curiosity and um our intimacy to to spend time in this place Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and i'm curious if you can bridge you know this where we are in this conversation to how some of those practices meet the world and mm-hmm. how your experience of doing this work mm-hmm. has shaped your relationship to some of the larger systems that we live in mm-hmm.
1: There's another question we could spend a long time on. <laughs> so great. Um, hmm. one, one thing I keep learning is just the, the very small rhythms of caretaking that it takes to make a life and keep it going. So much labor, emotionally and physically, that our economic and political system and a lot of our cultural ways of seeing just either just ignores entirely or when it does when we do see it it's often dismissed and disrespected um work done by people that move throughout history that in various places are um identified and cl- classified would be a way to say it, like actual maybe as certain classes that are extracted from and abused and um, but it's the heart of all economic life and work to take care of things and it takes every day to feed cycles of feeding and I think to be tending land to water things or weed things prune things uh, propagate things um, turn things into food and process firewood and like all the different tasks like that helps me has really helped me think about like the the other types of work that i'm really passionate about doing whether that's teaching facilitating organizing trying to support others who are spending so much time um resisting it's like that there are similar kinds of practices and we need to be fed in the work that we're doing and we need we need it to be livable <laughs> um so I've I've been thinking a lot about that and uh seasons of work too and rest and um intensity and then being able to rest again and that kind of thing I think there's a lot to learn from me from the life cycle of trees and like seasonal patterns of a year and how how to organize and how to um how to do the wider work that's needed um Another thing that, that comes to me, I'm also <clears throat> aside from farming, I I do I teach uh, classes on cultural ecology and environmental justice and animism, and I teach um, and I, I'm a facilitator and I work with a lot of groups and organizations through conflict transformation, um, through popular education, and uh, and through workshops and trainings that are kind of rooted in anti-racism or anti-oppression and with several friends started a, a collective facilitating group called the cambium collective. And cambium is another tree word, a <laughs> surprise. <laughs> uh, cambium is when you you know, go up to a young tree and you scratch the bark back and you can see the green that kind of glows underneath that green is the living cell wall that encircles the, the branch from the root tip up to the, the bud tip. And it grows cambium and its growth becomes, um, sapwood and and the bark and internally it becomes the heartwood and the the evidence of that growth is what's left as tree rings each year and so we can mark the signs of growth through the movement of cambium that is feeding um, the protective outer layer the bark that faces the world and the movement of sap and is also like the the core that's holding it together and so we've seen our work in all these ways through facilitating and supporting groups of people and organizations and grassroots movements is also like the shape of a tree <clears throat> um where our work what is growth at edge keeps us strong internally and helps us know how to protectively and um and passionately face the world as well yeah and that if I keep getting coming back to that metaphor it really helps me think about like what is the purpose of this work and who do we do it for and um who do we think humans can be like who who can we actually be and how do we make that as possible as we can Mm.
0: I love the way that you root yourself in the language of biomimicry. (laughs) It
1: helps me a little bit. (laughs) It helps me get oriented.
0: It's almost (laughs) the same technology as Mm. spiritual Mm. practices that root us in ritual or sacred texts. Oh, yeah. Actually, so I learned from a book that I have on Celtic tree lore that Beach, who is... Queen of the Forest mm-hmm. to the King Oak mm-hmm. is comes from the same root as the word book, mm. and so the the Celtic folklore around that particular tree suggests that trees and the beech tree them in particular are a form of sacred texts and actually literally a place where the ancients stored Mm -hmm. sacred knowledge for safekeeping so that later generations could access them, could know where to find them Mm. because they are the guardian angels Mm. of those particular realms. And for the beach, it's ancient knowledge, Mm. sacred texts, wisdom. Mm. And I think that the link between a landscape the land the people and certain forms of cultural ways of knowing
2: Mm, yeah
0: is something that colonization targets specifically to weaken the resilience of a group of people and disenfranchise them of their intrinsic sources of power
1: oh my gosh yeah yeah Oh, there's so much in that I love. Thanks for bringing the language into that. And, like, the the Celtic stuff is amazing. I'd love to see that book, actually. Uh, But the trees form the basis of the Gaelic alphabet. Like, all these trees have different symbols attached to them, and that's the alphabet. the and they're
0: called by the same name
1: yeah. as
0: the Sanskrit word for the universal mm. interconnected thread between life, death, and rebirth. Om.
1: Mm-hmm. I had not thought about it, that connection and the way it sounds. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. There's so like in the internally there's all these like mirroring like trees have partners in that alphabet and that. Uh, I love that so much. Like, the role of hazelnut or an alder or. Uh, um uh, Hawthorne and those stories is so powerful to me and i think <coughs> the landscape land, land is a sacred text and uh, i think that is where the knowledge like the the stories are embedded in in oral cultures that so lives in the world and the land and um last night in my the class that I teach called environment and society that was the was amazing that was the theme of our class last last night was about words and worlds and mm. speaking of environment and society of land and culture and how speech and spell and language and landscape are all part of one another and the connection between as a English writer who is one of my favorite people on this kind of stuff named Robert McFarland it's absolutely beautiful poet of a writer and he talks about how language deficit leads to attention deficit Mm. and and the connection between endangered languages and uh, and endangered landscapes when the language of love and attention and um, particularity is outlawed (laughs) by colonial structures or displaced through genocidal policies to move the people from the land, then the landscape just becomes natural resource to the people who are looking to extract. There's such an incredible connection that you're naming between language and love and land.
0: Mm. And I brought that up to come back to the Cambium Collective, Mm. because I think you do tap into something really powerful in presenting a framework to Mm different groups of people who are trying to orient themselves to an approach mm. to restructuring some of their relationships internally and relationships with systems of power, mm. power structures mm. that I do think this particular framework can be really powerful and um, that you have a unique and necessary approach to that <laughs> can you talk about a little bit how that particular type of consulting works
1: yeah well thanks for saying that I mean, It was it's really heartening to hear um yeah I, uh, it's a lot of different ways kind of depends on what the group needs but just recently have uh, been working with uh, with a group that has really just wanted some people on retainer like kind of when we need you we'll call you to help us with mediation when there's conflict that comes up Um, particularly racialized conflict tension mistake misunderstanding into harm that comes because of um, so much history and so much uh, consistent and current practice that has um, uh, that has been shaped because of racial power structures and our identities within that. And so uh, that's been one way it looks. It's just trying to be present for hard conversations and listening and asking questions and affirming people's experience and then asking, like, <clears throat> well, are you open to, to talking with this person you're feeling this hardness with? And if you are, like, how could I support you? And what would help you feel heard in that? What would you like to say to this person? what would you like to hear from this person and what's the livable workable thing we could figure out so we can keep uh we don't have to grow into deep friendship or even love with each other but could we still be in this job together um given that in our society it's really hard to just decide to leave a job the freedom to move is so limited which puts so much pressure on making it workable to be in a in an organization or a company Um, other times it looks like let's do, let's do a bunch of trainings we need to we need to go deep into like history of of oppression and like specifically within the United States in the context of of the modern world and also talk about the histories of resistance and liberation and possibility that people have dreamed for as long as the oppressive tendency has been there um, sometime, recently working with an organization that's really focused on uh, national land reform on just growing trust with Within themselves um, yeah. and relationships. So, coming up with ways that people could get to know each other more, um, tell their stories with each other, and how could that help us shape group intentions for how we want to be in a relationship? So many organizations have external facing principles or goals for the organization, but so many don't have internal facing. Here's how we commit to be in a relationship with each other. And that, to me, forms the basis of any accountability process or conflict process. It's hard to have any, what are we going to be accountable to? There's nothing there. It's kind of hollowed out. So helping people kind of figure that out and think through that has been a big recent piece of what we've been up to. Mm. And I've only done little bits. My... My colleagues and friends, Root and Asha and uh, another person who's really involved, Sade, are doing... That's kind of their full-time thing. So they're doing a lot of amazing work with a lot of organizations. And given the farm and other things that I do, I I take bits and pieces as I can. Yeah.
0: That's really deep care work.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of care in that. It can be... uh, really tiring especially for my my friends my colleagues
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: black and queer folks who um, are doing a lot of care work for a lot of organizations yeah yeah I was thinking about when you were just noting like <laughs> the beauty beauty of the Gaelic relationship to trees and um, and noting the kind of poetic but I think really practical connection between our language and our life in the world and the land like it uh the way we know and the way we speak does shape what we do and vice versa and one another way that we're really trying to imitate trees in the forest farm is through uh getting a little tricksterish with photosynthesis (laughs) and (laughs) that trees feed on sunlight and they Turn that they alchemize that into um, into carbon and yes, thank you for using that word (laughs) (laughs) and calories to feed the soil and to take into their body. They're feeding themselves, but then they they give a they give a crap ton away. Um, (laughs) Like perennial plants redistribute a quarter to half of the photosynthetic energy that they make through eating sunlight.
0: Can you imagine
1: out of their roots? Like
0: if you were to. Give away a quarter to half of your income or your I know. savings.
1: I mean, holy crap. Then <laughs> now we're now we're getting tree like radical revolutionary sort of language and we're can are, afford it. Yeah, they can afford it, which is amazing, because they're just being themselves and a lot of us are not really being ourselves. We have whole systems and identities and racial class systems that have made us not who we are. And and it doesn't, to me, it's not like as simple as just saying like, I'm just going to choose to be who I am. And now I don't have to take responsibility for the ways I've been made to not be me. I have to, I have to somehow practice both. I have to take responsibility for being a white, straight man. And I also want to be Jonathan, like all the unique ways that I'm me and how those have made each other <laughs> themselves. Yeah. But what I love about the photosynthesis thing is yeah, how to, how do imitate that economically? And... We are trying, but we are not as generous as the trees yet. We give away 10%, um, kind of drawing on like certain Christian tithe, other religious practices of tithing, a uh, 10% of what we make. Um, and um, right now we call it the reparations tithe. That doesn't sit as comfortably with me as it used to to call that reparations. Maybe just call it the photosynthetic fund or photos- photosynthesis tithe, but... It's a practice of trying to do something within our scale
2: mm-hmm.
1: at each level of our lives that is, uh, is repairing and reconstructing energy. And the trees are already doing something like it for yeah. different reasons, but they're doing photosynthesis, and this is a version of it for us.
0: What is it about the reparations, tithe, language that you are
2: not
1: resonating with mm. i just feel very wary of individualizing it too much and <clears throat> because I, I think there can be a tendency in business and nonprofit world to use radical social justice uh movement originated language to uh just give a new name to donations and to charity <clears throat> and charity in the old sense of gift is beautiful but that you know it's not how we're talking about it now and i um It's just kind of the the tension of we need, I want to see ways and offer ways for us to in our daily lives, to practice the things that we want to see happen in the world. And I also don't want to follow the route of neoliberal capitalism, which is to privatize everything into yeah. our daily lives. And I think uh, just holding that intention is more kind of what I'm thinking yeah. thinking about and, and wanting to reflect that in the language. I, I don't feel... Right now, I don't feel like we're saying something inaccurate, but I'm. it's not as full as I would like it to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah, just to kind of point us in this direction that was eventually going to get our toes out of the cold.
1: <laughs> this is too much fun, though. Oh, my gosh. There's so much in that.
0: <laughs> to point us ultimately in the direction we need to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, can you speak to some of the relationships that you've been able to experience on a broader scale Mm. of people who are sharing somewhat of a common vision around these earth and land craft ways of living?
1: Mm. Yeah, that kind of goes back to what you asked earlier about. what ways do the tree roots kind of inform our work because i think that's a big piece is like connecting underground (laughs) with amazing kindred spirits and other people who are going deep and like we're all going into the soil (laughs) and we're really connecting there um all across the great eastern forest in particular appalachia and the eastern seaboard is where we're really uh really going deep with people and some of that predates the forest farm that's like been brought into it um but I've just I've been amazed at how we grow trust through trees. Um, you know, Adrian Marie Brown talks about moving at the speed of trust, and that that feels about the same speed as trees to me. <laughs> it
0: takes a while. <laughs> it can
1: take a while until the taproot is there, and then that stuff can grow really fast. Yeah. And like then trust can move so quickly. Yeah. Um, but it's keeping pace with it. I really feel like trees have been. Um, currency is where they just came to my mind and like there are multiple kinds of currencies not just money but so it's like the the current that helps us connect has been trees in a lot of ways like offering like hey we've got a lot of trees can we support what you're doing because you're incredible and we really want to support you and some of that was based already on friendships that i had um partners that i've had through some of the facilitating or anti-racist work that has that was always kind of rooted in a deep agrarian peasant love of land um and agroecology is a practice that comes out of um, uh, peasant movements especially in Latin America for thinking about how we grow food in tin land um, so here in the eastern and southern part of the United States like we've been um, really partnering through our reparations tie the photosynthesis fund <clears throat> and through giving away trees to groups of people that we really respect and support and have have trust with. So like Soul Fire Farm in New York. I um, Back in 2016, I was part of a facilitation team that did the first uprooting racism training through Soulfire Fire on their land. And have subsequently taught uh, three different ones with Soulfire Fire and remain in touch with them. And then they connected us over to a group that they've been a part of founding called the Northeast Farmers of Color Network and that land trust. Um, they talk about themselves as a land trust without land right now that's growing trust they're trying to form <laughs> their relationships with people <clears throat> but there's so many people in that network across the the northeast and then a little bit further south um and so partnering with people through that to like move trees where they need to go to people who are ready to do beautiful work that brings food sovereignty which is another term that comes from from the global peasant movement from la via compassina mm. the peasant way which is about like having the power to determine food culturally and ecologically, and benefit from the full mm. uh, the full ownership of that system. Not just food security, yeah. not just getting enough calories, which is cool. <laughs> not just cool; it's vital. Um, but it doesn't mean that that the power stays with that people, with a group of people, um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and ecological restoration. That so we don't have to choose between food sovereignty and ecological restoration. They can be mutual aid with each other right. so that's been a huge piece of what we've done um and um working with with friends through the alliance of native seed keepers uh which is tuscarora and Nottoway led uh rematriation of indigenous seed varieties um incredible work there's such beautiful work on rematriated tuscarora land in north carolina um and so, moving lots of trees to them and, and wanting to kind of scheme other ways we can be in, in close partnership. Um, Penobscot land, Wabanaki land, and Maine. Um, so many different places where we, either through direct relationship that we had, reaching out and like having a seed of trust that we could let, that we cultivate and let it grow. or trust shared vicariously with us because other people who had done that relational work vouched for us and said these these white guys they're all right like check check them out and then we could grow our relationships from there and that has sometimes slow like you were saying and sometimes it's been really fast depending on who vouched for us or like what we what conversations we had with people but that has that has felt like our most animating work i think both both Cornelius and I who are the primary ones with the nursery and then Kristen is so deeply involved in a lot of other parts of the forest farm Mm
2: -hmm.
1: all three of us but Cornelius and I in particular through the growing of plants that just feels like it this is part of why we do this um we every spring for several years have been shipping hundreds to thousands of free trees across the great eastern forest to people and we've been kind of jokingly calling it our own CSA um but instead of a community uh supported agriculture which is sort of is but we've called it a community solidarity agroforestry um
0: i love that
1: <laughs> puns um
0: jonathan's a big pun
1: master. <laughs> i'm at least a practitioner um uh, and yeah so we friends have offered to support us to do that some like because it Takes a lot of shipping costs to move big bundles of trees everywhere, and so some friends have offered to help us with that. But then, from from other models of of people doing some similar types of things with more with annual vegetables and actual CSA shares, like which I,
0: originated in the like black cooperative economics movement. That's
1: right. Yeah, Booker T. Watley at um, at Tuskegee, who yeah, was yeah,
0: shout out that name. Yeah,
1: protege of. Um, like coming coming after uh George Washington Carver um but had this whole vision of what he called subscription agriculture for rural farmers to be able to access markets and mm-hmm. there's some Japanese origins of this in farming too but in the US for sure Booker T. Whatley and black economic freedom movements like came up with this model <clears throat> that is has has a lot of power and potential and so we've been learning from some other people and like let's do that with trees and um And it has some slightly different function but we we have the option now for for people to purchase trees for us to give away and it's not like we're going to keep track of every dollar amount we'll only give away that many trees we're going to give away as much as we can but this helps us incorporate um, the money economy into what we're doing to pay our cost and pay us a little bit and we always internally tax it at ten percent for our reparations ties. So it's like at every level, there's some way of siphoning off that photosynthetic abundance to redistribute, and that that has really felt like such a such a powerful gift to to be part of that. It's so much fun and it's so joyful to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, so you're basically giving people a way to support this cooperative model that shares more trees and more community building with a wider range of people by contributing a little bit more financially which sometimes that's what people have to give totally and it's really important to be able to invite those really vital currencies Mm. into our
2: yeah
1: absolutely like where are things flowing like it's a different kind of affluence we wanted to flow somewhere else and follow the sap flow (laughs) in a different direction right I love that so much because yeah some people like they they really like what we're doing they they got connected to us so they know about us but they don't have a place to plant trees or they're not ready for them but they can still chip in some money for us to to move our um mycelial mutual aid of our csa somewhere else or people who buy a lot of trees from us like yeah i'll tack on 10 bucks or 40 bucks for a tree or a bundle of five trees to grow to go somewhere and so it's just it's an option that people can choose that feels meaningful to them and it it helps ease some monetary cost and support for the livelihood that we have and is just uh moving fertility where it needs to go
2: yeah
0: well, I'd love to end by just, I think, touching on mm. the folk school, Yeah. because we didn't get to speak to it mm. directly. Mm. Um, can you describe mm. the vision for that part of Silver Run Forest Farm's
1: yeah. identity? <laughs> yeah, we're still really nurturing that one. That's been hard in the pandemic. Um to figure that out well but we the folk school feels like um it's its own kind of nursery and seed bank for propagating our own skills and gifts and um the folk school uh is where we want to learn to be who we need to be for the time of the world that we're in and that happens through workshops on earthcraft on land and craft skills that happens through um uh through partnering with students on research projects or practicums through hosting uh beautiful insightful uh challenging provocative speakers who can push us in ways um we would love that to look like um regular propagation power classes that bring together like a sense of liberatory power with plant propagation we'd love for it to look like seasonal agroforestry trainings this year we might have several agroforestry trainings we try to partner with others to teach here Um, but all that is really about like growing our own our own lives our own skills and and rooted in three um three understandings of education as waking up our conscience kind of coming from Paulo Freire, as as education as knowing and being known from parker palmer mm. and education as the practice of freedom from bell hooks um oh, rest in peace and power to bell hooks um but she uh been a big influence on how we understand that and just through conversation like just through like chewing on the fat of a good conversation while we're working together in the nursery has been probably that is really the core of the folk school for us that sometimes it's classes and workshops but often it's like people who want to come hang out and just join us while we're processing chestnuts or seeding river locusts into a bed or turning compost and spreading that on on nursery beds and we just talk about life has been a huge part of it mm.
0: or turning hundreds of pounds of pawpaws into ice
1: cream <laughs> yeah that, that's <laughs> some of the best stuff for sure or Roundtable conversations has been like what you participated in several several years ago now I can't believe that where we just a couple of us got together and the heat of the summer is so like we don't need to be out in the heat in the afternoon Let's sit in the shade and eat the plums. We just harvested and let's educate ourselves What do we want to talk about? We want to talk about restorative justice. We want to talk about radical agrarianism We want to talk about these. All right, what resources and teachers can we find to teach ourselves and that that's the stuff that really like kind of gets me really excited and i love it well, i did a, another one like that kind of through the forest farm several years ago on several students at the center for justice and peace building to do a deep dive into land and white supremacy and colonization and understand that relationship so every week we sat under a pin oak on blacks run and said what do we need to learn what do we want to talk about and then all right who can we learn that from and finding writers and artists and and various forms of learning that the trees our own bodies our own stories um and doing that coming back the next week and talking about it and say now what's left over from that what do we want to talk about next week and each week was an emergent process of deciding our own education and i i love that so much
0: Treat. <laughs>
1: Treat. <Treach. laughs> <laughs> I
0: can't believe we made it, like, over an hour in the cold. Thank you. This is amazing. Ugh, we can remember this by, you know, the half moon until, Mm. like, you became a parent and... Oh my gosh. (laughs) We (laughs) almost lost a toe. Uh
1: Uh-huh. I don't don't feel them anymore. (laughs) That's a bad sign. (laughs) This good warmth of a conversation is good, too.
0: Thank you so much for being here, and I'm excited to share some of the resources that are in your library and nursery through the platform on the Wild Honey Collective.
1: Thanks for making this available, Amelia. This feels like a gift for you to want to have a conversation like this. I really appreciate it.
0: This is a gem that we have now. (laughs) It's in our endowment. Woo! (laughs) Queens and beans. I hope you soaked up some of the sunbeams Jonathan had to offer through this conversation. I'll leave you now to alchemize this food for thought, heart, and soul into something sweet and life-giving. In the meantime, if you would like to place orders with Silver Run Forest Farm's nursery, you can still do that in time for the spring thaw when they will be giving away their spring orders for their nursery. So do go to silverrunforestfarm.org and explore the many beautiful fruit and nut and riparian trees that they have to offer. All orders from the nursery will be sent out in spring, and this happens in a respectful seasonal cycle and the timekeeping of trees. So you'll want to look for the conditions that the soil is thawing. Um, It'll be an indication that Jonathan and Cornelius will dig up your bare root orders for pickups and also shipping around the country. So usually sometime in March or April is when their spring sales go out to the beautiful homes that they will be going to. You can also hit them up for consulting if you have a project that you would like their wisdom and cooperation with you in trying to make happen. And just so you know, we have just three episodes left in season one of the podcast before we take a springtime break to reflect back on the season that has passed and prepare for what's to come. Do trust, though, that there's plenty to digest and reflect back on in the interim from this season's wisdom, and I will be enjoying that process and sharing with you all as we go. Support the podcast by rating and reviewing wherever you're listening, and sharing with your friends, as well as becoming a Patreon supporter. Anyone who signs up on the Queen Bee level of $25 a month will receive a very special gift as a thank you, a handcrafted book of my original poems that will help you reflect on some of the expression we've traveled through this season. Anyways, thank you for being here, and for all you wild honeys out there, keep creating.